you could turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1, and what I'd like to do just to move us along here, I'd like to read the full chapter, and I'm not sure how far we will get into the chapter, but I want us to at least get the broader context of First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's ask the Lord to meet with us once again. Father, we ask that you would take the words I speak, that they would be from you. That you would bolster our faith in our Savior Jesus. That we would come away from here knowing that we have heard from God. And may we be changed evermore into the image of your Son, that we too may walk worthy of the gospel. And so we pray that you would grant us your presence. In your dear Son's name, amen. So Peter, we all know, is one of the disciples, and he was one of the disciples that acted or said something before he, he thought. And so he was always doing something or saying something and then realizing, oh, that may not have been the best thing to say or do. But there's something interesting about Peter is that when he was speaking with Jesus and Jesus is laying out what he's about to do in that he's about to die. And Peter's like, no, I am not gonna forsake you. I'm going to stay with you. And then Jesus foretells that Peter will deny him, not once, but three times. A full and utter denial. And yet, when Peter responds, he says, no, that will never be. But Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you, and when you've come back, encourage your brothers. And so this, at least in part, is that coming back. He is writing to exiles, and he wants to encourage God's people. So in verse 2, Peter writes, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I want us to know, I want us to recognize that Peter is, is Trinitarian in his thinking. The foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, and the obedience to Jesus Christ. So now, 
In the next verses, he proclaims the gospel to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So my points are fairly simple. My first point I want to look at, and it will be shorter, and because there are some other, there's some other points I want to focus on, but the first couple points I will be tying in. So I'm not just making a comment and then leaving it. But the first point is the Holy Spirit supremely sanctifies. The second is Christ is the supremely anointed one, the Messiah, the supremely anointed Messiah. God the third point is God is supremely holy, and then we are supremely holy. So the Holy Spirit, you could say, is the holying spirit. He's the one that makes holy. He's the one that sanctifies. So then the question is, what is sanctification? And sanctification is the growth of being more like Christ in this life where we are rooting out sin and acting in a way that is worthy of the gospel. So we need to be confronted with the fact that God is holy and he is the only one who is inherently holy. And this means that that any person, place, or thing, like the temple or sacrifices, or you and me as believers, and anything that is called holy, has holiness because it has been bestowed by God. And this, is, this includes the Holy Spirit. And we could say he is the holying spirit. He sanctifies us because he shares his holiness with us. And in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, Peter further explains that the work of the Holy Spirit is involved in the believer's election. Sanctification refers to the process of being set apart or made holy by God. In this context, it can refer to the work of the Holy Spirit in purifying and consecrating believers, making them set apart for God's purposes and transforming them into the image of Christ. It emphasizes that the work of the Holy Spirit is essential in the believer's salvation and sanctification. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so we see this is one of the first things that Peter brings out. That According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. Secondly, we have Christ 
who is the supremely anointed one. Psalm 2.2 says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, the Messiah. This verse speaks of the opposition and rebellion against the Lord and his chosen Messiah, who is Christ, who is anointed by God for his special purpose. Psalm 45.7 says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This verse speaks of the anointing of the Messiah with the oil of gladness, indicating the joy and favor that God bestows upon him. Acts 10.38 says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This New Testament passage speaks of the anointing of Christ by God with the Holy Spirit and power, empowering him for his earthly ministry of preaching, teaching, and performing miracles. But also we see in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This prophetic verse in Isaiah speaks of the anointing of the Messiah by the spirit of the Lord, empowering him to bring good news, healing, and liberation to those in need. And Jesus quoted this passage from Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth when he began his public ministry. He read from the scroll of Isaiah and declared that the prophecy was fulfilled in him, indicating that he is the promised Messiah, the anointed one, sent by God with a specific mission to bring good news, liberty, and healing to those in need. This event marks the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and affirmed his identity as the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. So in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves says this, in both the work of creation in Genesis 1 and the work of salvation or recreation in the Gospels, God's word goes out from him by his spirit. The father speaks and on his breath, his word is heard. It all reveals what this God is truly like. The spirit is the one through whom the father loves, blesses, and empowers his son. The son goes out from the father by the spirit. Hence, Jesus is known as the anointed one, the Messiah in Hebrew or the Christ in Greek. For he is the one supremely anointed with the Spirit. As kings and priests, even prophets, were anointed and consecrated to their tasks with oil in the Old Testament, Jesus is anointed with the Spirit. Indeed, the terms son and anointed one are sometimes almost synonymous, as in Psalm 2. So the Father loves and empowers the Son by giving him his Spirit. Now, let's look beginning in verse 13 of 1 Peter 1. 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I can imagine that the Jewish exiles, when they read this, particularly when they hear, you shall be holy for I am holy, their thoughts are brought to the Israelites in the Old Covenant. Think of it this way. When I say terms like 9-11, you probably think, for those of us who are a little bit older, you probably can think, I know where I was when this happened, when the attacks happened. I know, and I see pictures of specific actions and things that occurred, and all of that is brought to the forefront of my mind simply by saying 9-11. So when the Jewish exiles are reading this, their thoughts go back to passages like Exodus 19. When morning dawned on the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud blast of a horn. All the people in the camp shook with fear. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord had come down on it with lightning. The smoke went up like smoke of a hot furnace, while the whole mountain shook violently. The blast of the horn grew louder and louder. Moses would speak, and God would answer him with thunder. This is so pronounced in their thinking and in their minds that even the writer of the Hebrews brings it up. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And no doubt, when they read this, they're thinking of Isaiah, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now with all of this in your mind... This, 
this great picture of holiness. We need to answer the question, what is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? Holiness is being set apart. But I think in some senses that, that term isn't, isn't complete. It's true. And we should say it. But it's, I, th- I think it's missing something. First, God possesses intrinsic holiness. Isaiah 6.3 says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy in his very nature. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says, There is none so holy as the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And God's holiness means divine perfection. Psalm 18 tells us this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Exodus 15 tells us, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Isaiah continues in in chapter 57. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is absolutely distinct from all his creatures and above them in infinite majesty. In Isaiah 55, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is holy in all his ways. Psalm 145, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and, and kind into all his works. Holiness is an emphatic mark of deity. Revelation tells us, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God cannot act contrary to his nature. And even as the sun cannot darken, so God cannot act unrighteously. James tells us this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God possesses original holiness. Psalm 99 tells us, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. God is primarily and necessarily holy. Revelation, again, tells us, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. From eternity past, God has been 
is now and forever will be free from all moral impurity and is therefore morally perfect. Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is absolutely supreme in all his divine holiness. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. God possesses transcendent, transcendent holiness. Isaiah, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God can present himself as the pattern of holiness because he is the origin and source of it. Leviticus tells us, you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. There is none so holy as the Lord. And as we are told in Exodus, God says, you cannot see my face for no man sees me and live because God is that holy. But also, we are severely sinful. Yes, we see people do good things, but the fact that they have a sinful nature, it infects everything we do. Your best thought, your best deed is inferior and demands punishment because of the sin nature that indwells you and that nature infects everything we do. And even then, because of our sin, we cannot see God. But if we were like the angels around the throne, as we see in Isaiah 6, that even they have wings covering their eyes, that yes, they too are holy, and their holiness is infused by God from himself, but yet there is a humility. They cannot look upon God. So with the angels, holiness is a quality that can be lost, for many of them left their first estate, as Jude tells us. The holiest angel above or the holiest man on earth cannot measure the just dimensions of God's holiness. Job tells us, even in his servants, he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. If we were to look at Isaiah 6 again, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And that is an indication that he is holy. He is lifted up. He is unique. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And so that usually a king's train, the longer and more grand it is, the higher lifted up this king is. And so his Robe, the train of his robe fills the temple. And so that is also an indication of his holiness. Above him stood the seraphim. And so we see these angels possessing six wings. 
And all they can do in the presence of God is proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory is similar to Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In Habakkuk 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is how holy God is. Are you getting what holiness is? The use of of holy, holy, holy in this heavenly declaration highlights the awe-inspiring nature of God's holiness. It conveys the idea that God's holiness is beyond human comprehension and that he is set apart in his perfection and purity. The number three is often associated with completeness or fullness in scripture. And in this context, it emphasizes the fullness of God's holiness. He is absolutely, supremely holy. He cannot be more holy than he already is. He is absolutely supreme in holiness. This threefold declaration of holiness is worship and adoration. As the heavenly beings acknowledge and honor God for his unmatched holiness and majesty. Even if we were to see an angel right now, we would cower in fear because of its glory. But it pales in comparison to the glory and holiness of God. Chad Bird, who is a pastor and theologian, explains holiness like this. And I apologize, this is a longer quote. This facet of the diamond of divine holiness implies that he is the cause of all that is holy in others. He is both the pattern and principle of holiness. His spring feeds all our cisterns. Every crystal stream is from this fountain. For instance, is not this feature of the divine character impressed upon material things? Does not holiness breathe in nature? How pure is the light untainted by what it touches? How pure is the snow making dull and gray by comparison the purest human production? The hallowing solitudes of mountain and glen of nature and all its aspects and phases exert an influence speaking to the soul of divine holiness Further, God's holiness is the standard of our life and conduct. Be ye holy, for I am holy. How conscious man is of his sin when in the presence of God's actions towards his creatures, he demands obedience to and uniformity with such a standard. God cannot have one standard for himself and another for his creatures. As he is, so are we in this world. As a being of perfect goodness, God could have had no other ultimate purpose than the creation of beings capable of reflecting such holiness. Then there is the dominating factor to consider. Since God is all holy, he must consequently dominate the universe, opposing and condemning and punishing sin. Wherever sin exists, there must be his uncompromising attitude toward it, 
He must remain forever the absolute and eternal enemy of sin. From such holiness, there comes justice and righteousness, which as they are administered, moral order is maintained among his intelligent creatures. Paul provides the link in this, in this phrase, righteousness and true holiness in Ephesians. Thus, God's holiness forms the basis of moral significance within the universe. Holiness is the glory of his creation and the grand description of worship. Holy, holy, holy will yet become the anthem of a redeemed universe, the awful lake of fire, the coming wrath of the Almighty, the solemn destruction meted out upon all satanic forces present no difficulties whatever to the heart dominated by the fact of God's absolute holiness. And yet another theologian explains it this way. God's glory is not an attribute as much as it is the sum total of all God's attributes. In viewing God's glory, we are not directly viewing God, but the impress and the effects of his majestic greatness. Holiness, glory, and beauty are inseparable. We must recognize the connection between them. God's holiness, his otherly presence, is manifested and revealed in glory, his majestic splendor and brilliance, and the form it takes is beauty. This combination produces both fear and longing within us. God's terrible beauty, God's awful, his full of awe beauty, simultaneously repels and attracts. It is both shocking and soothing, disruptive and fascinating, unnerving and restorative. It provokes both fear and love. So holiness is God in his absolutely supreme perfection. His very nature is holy. He cannot not be holy. His holiness penetrates and overwhelms his nature, his holiness is that which all his other attributes and character qualities reflect. Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth refined seven times. Even the number seven indicates an aspect of completion and perfection. He is perfectly pure. He cannot not be pure because he is supremely holy. Because God is supremely holy, he is supremely pure. Psalm 115, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Because he is supremely holy, God is absolutely supreme in his sovereignty. He is supremely sovereign. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Because God is supremely holy, it is no wonder God is omniscient. Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Because God is supremely holy, it is no wonder God is omnipotent. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Because God is supremely holy in his supreme perfection, he is supremely good. 
Psalm 103, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, because God is supremely holy, he forgives supremely. And when he forgives, you better believe you are forgiven. 1 Peter, going back to our texts, says, you were ransomed, in verse 18, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Because God is supremely holy, he redeems us to the uttermost, supremely uttermost. And so too, we could go on and on, God's providence, God's forgiveness, God's redemption of his people, his truth, his faithfulness, are what they all are in their unchanging, absolutely supreme perfection because he is holy. God can never be anything less of any of these attributes because he is supremely holy. And now, going back to 1 Peter 1. If God is thrice holy, I hope you're thinking, if God is this holy, how can I prepare my mind for action as Peter proclaims me to do? How can I truly set my hope fully on the grace that will be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If God is this holy, how can I be obedient and not be conformed to the passions of my former ignorance? How can I win the struggles of my sin and my temptations? And how can I be holy as God is holy? And yes, it is an impossibility. How can I fulfill all that God commands since I cannot attain supreme holiness. Verse 13 of 1 Peter 1 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we, we understand the word therefore. There's something it's building off of. And so we can even see that it's building off of verse 10 concerning this salvation. But even then, when Peter says concerning this salvation, what salvation is he referring to? It's what he's explained in verses three through nine. That there is a salvation for us. But I think, I think there's a better way that helps us grab hold of connecting the gospel and God's holiness. How 
we can be motivated to pursue holiness. Not that I want to fight the translators over their word choice, but I think the word for therefore should be translated through which. Through which, through which what? Concerning this salvation, through which this salvation, this salvation is such that now you can prepare your minds for action. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. And I think, I think even when Peter is talking about be holy as God is holy, this is the linchpin upon everything else rests. Because of God's holiness and because of what Christ has accomplished, then we too can be holy. So what is this salvation? It is salvation from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. If God is holy and set apart, if God is supreme in his holiness, this means he is also supreme in his mercy. He God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It is precisely because of God's holiness is that a salvation that can save us to the uttermost can happen. This means that whatever God does, he does it to the best and the fullest extent of his ability. We also know that the vision that Isaiah sees in Isaiah 6 where the angels are proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. John tells us he, Isaiah saw Jesus. And so Jesus is the one sitting on that throne being proclaimed, holy, holy, holy. And yet, Jesus is the one who comes and takes on our sin he has, called, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is the one who has come. And in his holy life, takes our sin and our guilt upon himself. And he does it in a holy way. And he dies a holy death. And so his resurrection 
is a holy resurrection to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So think of it this way. To an inheritance that is imperishable, this inheritance is a holy inheritance. There's nothing lacking. It is perfect. It is imperishable. It cannot be defiled. And it's unfading. It, it will never fade away. There is not one piece of our salvation, of our inheritance in Christ that will diminish. Who by God's power, even his power is holy. Are being guarded. The guarding through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This too is a holy guarding. If God accomplishes everything that he sets his mind out to accomplish, then even the guarding through faith, that too will never be diminished. So therefore, through which you prepare your minds for action. It's possible. And being sober-minded, so because of the gospel, because of Christ and all that he's accomplished for us, we are being sober-minded. We're thinking rightly. Now we can set our hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes again in full revelation, you better believe it'll be a holy revelation. It'll be full and complete. So then, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the, to the passion of your former ignorance. Sometimes we think, that I struggle with a particular temptation or a particular sin and I fail all the time. It's because of this holy salvation that the salvation that we have received in Jesus is so complete and full that we too have victory over all those passions of her former ignorance. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You are holy because of Christ. And you have the holying spirit indwelling you who has latched you upon Christ in such a way that there is no way that you will not be holy. And so now, because of this great news of Christ, we can rip sin out from the roots 
because Christ himself has taken our sin upon his very body. And when he died, sin died too. And when he rose, sin lost its power. So now, he, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Walk worthy of the gospel. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is not telling us something we cannot achieve anymore. Because we achieve it in Christ. He is the one who is holy. Thrice holy as Isaiah tells us. And yet, because of what he has done, there will be a day where we'll be holy and righteous in a, in a way that's consummatedly so. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is... This, this is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, yes, even can make us cower because it, because it is so great. The fear of the Lord does two things. It will make you cower or draw you to the grace, by the grace of God in Christ. And so this is, Conducting ourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And this is for us. As we have believed and we trust Christ, we too have become exiles. Waiting for a country, for a, a world that is only made by God. knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Christ is holy for you. And he was the lamb without blemish or spot. It was... absolutely, supremely, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest. He was revealed in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So God is supremely holy. Jesus is supremely anointed one. He is supremely anointed of the holying spirit. And the, holy, the holying spirit is the one who supremely holies God's people. Supremely sanctifies his people. And this is why Paul can tell us in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also 
glorified. So when we read 1 Peter 1 and we understand the holiness of God, we now know his mercy is a holy mercy. The living hope is a holy living hope. So we see that the inheritance that we receive is a holy inheritance. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. How can Peter say that the salvation that we receive is kept in heaven for you is because of Christ? He is seated on the throne on the right hand of the Father in human glorified flesh. And that should give us hope because he has holy flesh and is complete and we have nothing to fear and we have all the hope in the world. We can also know that the tested genuineness of our faith is a true holy testing, a holy genuineness. And we also know that our faith, it too is holy. And this should result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So this is my hope, that you would grab hold of Jesus, the Holy One. Don't rest in your efforts. Yes, go and do. In fact, when we're looking at the end of 1 Peter 1, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, we can rest in him because our salvation, the outcome of our faith is the complete and utter salvation of our souls. So this means we can go and love others as Christ has loved us. We can give and sacrificially give of our time, our possessions, of our, of our very being, for others because of Christ offering himself up for us. So we too can love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because we have been purified by our obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So that's the other result of 
true holiness is that there's true mercy. There is true care. There is true sacrifice and true love for others. And we cannot proclaim that we are holy if we are not loving others like we love ourselves. And along with Peter, as he says to the exiles, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the good news of Jesus. Believe him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We know that because you are holy, you are supremely good. And you have given us of yourself in Jesus. And you have done it supremely so. May we live our lives in a, in a way that reflects all that Christ has done for us because he has supremely sacrificed himself. May we go and love others and sacrifice ourselves for, for the good of others because of what Christ has done. And may we do it in a holy way that reflects your holiness, your righteousness, your goodness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.